Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, what's up? I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, the host of The Bay. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts with an S. From KQED. Whenever I step outside, I worry. I go for a walk and I pass people. Even if we're six feet apart, I'm going to worry. The grocery store is the freaking worst. And at the end of it all, I don't know if I've contracted COVID or if I'm passing it along. But what if when you got home after being out in public, you got an alert on your phone? And it said that you were in close contact with someone who tested positive for COVID-19. Would you give up a little bit more of your privacy so you could know? If sharing information like this helps make us all safer in the near term, I'm willing to put up with the reduction in privacy. On the flip side, once this thing is over, I would be deleting whatever app I downloaded. The same Silicon Valley tech companies that have tons of our data already now want to track who has COVID in the U.S. This kind of technology is already being used in some countries as one strategy to make sure the virus is contained. So will enough people opt in for this to actually work? I'm Devin Kadayama. Welcome to the Bay. So contact tracing is one strategy among several strategies that need to work together effectively to help control an epidemic. Rachel Myro is editor of KQED's Silicon Valley Desk. There is contact tracing going on right now. It's non-digital. It's, it's old-fashioned. It's a, a bunch of uh, public health specialists, for instance, in San Francisco, calling people up on the phone and saying, hey, Devin, uh, where you been lately? <laughs> Can we talk about these test results we've got here? Um, uh, you know, and they'll ask you, you know, where do you remember going out? in recent days? Who do you think you've been in contact with? But it's just so much slower than, say, phone technology where it's automatic in a matter of, you know, 10, 15 minutes. Uh, if, If there's information about your test results, that could be broadcast to a whole lot of people. Uh, in a way that it just would not happen phone call by phone call by phone call. Going forward, if we want to talk about some rational program to lift these vast shelter-in-place orders that we're living under now, then we have to talk about doing that in a safe way and, and trying to avoid new spikes in infection rates by trying to track who's being infected now. We can only guess. We're flying blind in a lot of respects as far as what percentage of our population has been exposed to COVID-19 thus far. So if we don't want to fly blind going into the future, then we need to know who's getting tested and who's coming into proximity with other people. Can you give me an example of how contact tracing might work for me? 
Like I live in Vallejo and right now I'm going to the store maybe every two weeks. I'm going out for walks and I'm still in public places. And, uh, you know, sometimes I have to be less than six feet from people, especially in the grocery store. So how might contact tracing work for me? Presumably, if you get tested and you test positive, uh, this would be information that you could upload through an app, and that tells your phone, and then your phone tells other phones, and vice versa. It would be a rearview mirror alert that you would get, hey, your phone came in contact with somebody else's phone who tested positive. You should A, get tested Mm -hmm. yourself, and B, self-quarantine uh, for 14 days, and C, tell anybody you think you came in contact with that they might want to get tested and self-quarantine for 14 days. Right now, we, we just have companies and, and a few uh, academic outfits around the country, Stanford, MIT, working on software. So it sounds like this technology, should it be available in the U.S., would very much depend on self-reporting and self-opting in. Yes, this is an opt-in system. You know, the primary difference here uh, between what we're talking about here and the information that we're constantly sending out to the universe on a daily basis is that this is in coordination with health officials who are tracking all this information. And they're specifically looking at, you know, whether we're infected, whether we're tested, whether we're infecting other people, uh, whether we're in proximity to people who could be infecting other people. So this is very much looking at a specific set of questions and then finding a way to communicate it to the broader public and also specifically to health officials monitoring uh, the spread of COVID-19. It's worth pointing out, Devin, that we've already seen contact tracing happen in other countries around the world. And contact tracing is not something that happens all by its lonesome. It's part of a group of strategies uh, to try and get a handle on controlling infection. This isn't going to work, for instance, if you don't have a whole bunch of people participating in the program. And this is why it's interesting that Google and Apple um, have proposed uh, collaborating on this project, because between the two of them, they pretty much, uh, you know, have access to all the phones, smartphones (laughs) on the planet. And so how big could contact tracing be to helping deal with COVID? Well, potentially huge. I mean, If you look at other countries like South Korea, what you see is it can be a way to shut down widespread infection. If you get, you know, one person and their social network or their work network to self-quarantine for 14 days, it's much more targeted than, say, asking the entire San Francisco Bay Area to (laughs) self-quarantine. Right. Uh, Because, you know, that's just going to be disastrous. It's already disastrous from an economic perspective. At some point, uh, COVID-19 is coming for many of us, and we're just delaying that day. Have these apps and this technology been successful in fighting against COVID? You know, it, it appears so, but 
Let's take, for example, South Korea. I, I don't think you can leave aside the fact that they were really hit hard just a few years ago by MERS, M-E-R-S. <laughs> um, you know, this was a, a terrible coronavirus, very fatal, mm -hmm. and yeah. they got hit hard and basically vowed from that point on, we're, we're not going to be sitting ducks when the next coronavirus comes around. We're going to be ready for this. Both South Korea and the U.S. reported their first case of COVID-19 on the same day, January 20th. But South Korea then did something the U.S. has not, implemented a system to electronically track people and the disease. It's so important to point out that contact tracing has to be seen in conjunction with the question of testing. They started massive test production. They got this kind of technology through the development phase so that when COVID-19 hit, they were able to roll out these strategies in a big way right away. It's not just the idea that digital contact tracing can be so much faster, infinitely faster, orders of magnitude faster than human contact tracing. It's also that it's part of a larger set of strategies that are being rolled out at the same time also effectively. There are some important differences between the contact tracing programs in many other countries and the one that could get started here in the U.S. First of all, in South Korea and Israel, governments have led the efforts to roll out the digital contact tracing. But here in the U.S., it's coming out of Silicon Valley, and specifically Apple and Google. It's Bluetooth. It's, it's just basically information about proximity between phones and thus the people who are holding those phones. It's not what you get with geolocation. It's not, you know, where you've been. It's not your name. It's not your address. It's not your nationality. It's not your uh, credit card data. It's not all these other things that could be collected by you and are being collected, I should say, by other countries as they go about contact tracing. What we're looking at here with Google and Apple's proposal is something much more limited in scope. I think the advantage to having them do this is that we can feel a little bit like the, the sort of spread of that data has not been dramatic. Josephine Wolf is an assistant professor of cybersecurity at Tufts University, and she has looked into the information that Apple and Google has released, and so far, she likes what she's seeing. Whereas if the federal government were in charge of this and collecting some of that data, that would actually be something new and different. Uh, that we would have to think about how long that was going to last, what they could do with that data in a, in a slightly different way. There's already a lot of information being collected about each one of us. You've done a lot of stories on this, and we've actually talked about this before. Is it possible to use this technology for only the purpose of COVID or other diseases as they come? Or once you use it, do is it basically here to stay? Well, that's a huge issue. Uh, and so much depends on the nature of the contact tracing you're talking about. Um, you know, in, in so many ways, the genie's uh, out of the lamp, <laughs> the cat's out of the box, uh, the horse is out of the barn. We're giving away so much information. But, you know, we tend to be a little cagier about health information. And so privacy advocates say, you know, you have to pay really close attention when the pandemic rolls to a close. Do we make sure that this, this collection of health data stops? Do we make sure that it doesn't just keep going because it's something we've, we've uh, 
come to accept as the new normal. And we're just going to have to wait and see how that plays out. My my hope is that that it's it doesn't become the new normal, but I have no way of being confident that that's how it'll play out. Well, I feel like we're in an interesting moment right now with the story about privacy because it's really right now balancing privacy and and all the things that privacy advocates have really fought for with public health. And like, I mean, a lot of people will probably argue they want both in a way, but so the, the, the balancing act is really interesting to watch right now. There's clearly a spectrum. There's, there's, you know, all the way on one end, China, where you have an entire surveillance state that has simply shifted its attention to public health instead of what it's normally doing. Um, you know, you have South Korea where they've got um, broad intrusions into privacy. I'm, I'm always asking the question, you know, who's harmed by the transmission of this information? And, and along with the privacy advocates, I ask the question, how much information do you need to collect and distribute um, for this contact tracing to do its job, to do what we need it to do? Whatever the bare minimum is, I'd say go with that. I really am a Girl Scout, Devin. I, I, I really care about being part of a, a set of solutions that leads to broader good public health. I want to be part of the solution. So so in that sense, uh, if sharing information like this helps make us all safer in the, in the immediate term, in the near term, I'm willing to put up with the reduction in privacy uh, that comes along with that. Uh, on the flip side, once this thing is over, I, you know, I would be deleting whatever app I, I downloaded. Next month, Apple and Google say they're making their contact tracing technology available. It'll be up to public health agencies to create or run apps that use this technology, although we don't actually know which ones are going to do that just yet. And then it's going to be up to me and you to opt in. Rachel Myro is KQED's Silicon Valley editor. The Bay is produced by Erica Cruz-Guevara and our editor, Alan Montecilio. I'm Devin Katayama. That's it for us. We'll talk to you on Wednesday. I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me 
supporting the programs they love, while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.